This morning as we come to this grand piece of God's imagination to explore the meaning and purpose of the incarnation, it's a challenge that every preacher faces that the topic is too big and could be covered in 20 minutes in a worship service. Our preaching team could spend weeks on the very idea, the very reality of the incarnation, of the idea that God became flesh and lived among us. And as I've thought about this idea of God living among us and God moving into our neighborhoods, that's literally what the Greek text means, that God came in the flesh and moved into our neighborhoods. I've been thinking about the neighborhoods I grew up in. Do you remember the neighborhoods you grew up in? As a child, we moved sometimes frequently, and so having lived in different neighborhoods, but one of the idyllic neighborhood memories of my childhood is Penmar Street in La Habra, California. And on Penmar Street, it was just one block long, but on that street, there were lots of kids our age. For there were five of us children in my home. And as you can imagine, we gathered to do all kinds of things, most of them appropriate. <laughs> because down the street was Arthur and next door was Dale. We had the neighborhood bully who was an older child. And I remember the day when someone's older brother decided to confront the neighborhood bully and there was a gathering. The word had, been, had gone out. And after those moments, we didn't have any more trouble with the neighborhood bully. That same young man declared one day he was going to jump the six-foot fence. That was a big deal. Can you imagine jumping a six-foot fence in one leap? And again, there was a gathering. It was an amazing feat for us to watch him put his hands on top of that six-foot fence and leap over it with a single bound. We gathered in the street and played all kinds of games from football to over the line to anything you can imagine that neighborhood children would play. And yet straight across the street from our home was a family whose older high school age son lay in a bed in their living room dying of cancer. And of other life-threatening maladies through the neighborhood. All going on while we young boys, looking like the children from that movie Sandlot, made our way with bats and gloves over our shoulders to Las Lomas Elementary School to play over the line. And life lived out in the neighborhood with both joy and suffering and heartache and future. And so as I think about God moving into the neighborhood and becoming flesh, I think about those kinds of neighborhood experiences. That God left 
the lofty place of heaven with all of its security and took the risk to come and to invite you and me to come and be a part of God's imagination and do something new that had never, ever been done before in the course of human and created history. And so it is this morning with the memory of Malachi's prophecy from last week in chapter three of a coming messenger of God and now 400 years later, we come to the presence of Christ in the flesh. And amidst the wonder of participating in the ark of the story of God, at a certain place in time, Jesus appears, whom John calls the Word. And it is as if in that brief moment, God says, I have spoken through patriarchs, through leaders, through prophets, and even donkeys. Do you remember the story of Balaam and the donkey? And now God says, I will speak in a new way, in a new expression, with a new beginning, in a desire to bring order to chaos, to create a new genesis, a new creation, and for one more time to declare God's persistent love for humanity. And so let's read together John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, and I'm reading from the New International Version. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was, the, he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. The word of the Lord. A brief outline of these verses lays out something like this. Verses one through four describes the origin of the incarnation. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Nothing happened in the beginning 
without the word. Someone has observed that words are the expression of a person, but are not the person. And so it is we see in this passage God's creative force in Genesis 1 and 2 was the word. You will recall from Genesis 1 and 2 that it says often, and God said, let there be, and God said. And so as God speaks into existence, the word was with God and nothing was made without the word. And now the word comes at a specific moment in the arc of the story of God into the life of God's chosen community, seeking to speak new life into existence for them. We have in this sermon series during this year of 2022 been exploring from Genesis and we're gonna make our way all the way to the end of the New Testament before we're done. And we've been talking about the long arc of God's story and God's repeated initiatives driven by love to come and be with and speak to his chosen people in the great hope that through them they would be a nation of priests that would carry that love to the rest of the world. And yet repeatedly we have seen throughout the Old Testament that fallen humanity has given expression to itself over and over again. And now it is that God comes. God comes in the flesh. And the origins are at the very beginning of creation. Verses five through 11 describes the rejection of the incarnation of God. And even though John testifies to the authenticity of the word, the world does not accept to recognize the word in flesh. Think about this for a moment. After centuries of promises and prophecies, when that moment comes for those prophecies to be fulfilled, the world does not recognize it. The chosen people of God did not recognize the Messiah when the Messiah was presented in fulfillment of that promise and of all of those prophecies. How much preparation is necessary? How much would be required for us to recognize the presence of God among us in the flesh? Let us be careful before we'd say, well, we would, I would. And so it is God comes in the flesh and God's chosen people are not able to discern the presence of God among them. Verses 12 through 14 describe God's response to the rejection. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. This is a great mysterious thing. I have watched the Spirit of God come and be embraced by people. I have watched people choose to follow Jesus in ways that I never thought possible and the mystery of what it means to be a child born of God and God's spirit still remains a mystery to me today. And I say thanks be to God 
It's not mechanical. It's not formulaic. It is the presence of God preveniently working in a person's life, calling them, drawing them to a place where they may respond to the invitation of a Jesus who's moved into their neighborhood. Verses 15 to 18 give us the first eyewitness account to give expression of the authenticity of God in the flesh, whom John the Baptist identifies the word as the Son of God, as Jesus. This wonderful passage has more meaning packed into it than we can express in many sermons. And so it is on this day, I hope we can grasp what the incarnation means to us in this year, in this season, in these circumstances in which we live. For God to come in the flesh and live among us is to bring hope and purpose to our world. The incarnation reaffirms God's intention for loving relationship with us. Perhaps one of the first verses that may come into your mind that gives expression to that is in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever might believe in him would have everlasting life. Last Sunday morning as I was preaching and I made the statement that God loves everybody and someone said, everybody? Pastor Brad encouraged us to say it again, so we said it again. Last week I drew your attention to the word everybody. This week I draw your attention to the word whoever. Whoever, whoever believes in God shall not perish but have everlasting life. In John chapter 20, verse 31, John writes, and describes the purpose of his writing. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. It is amazing, world-changing moment in the arc of the story of God. Think about that arc of the story of God, how many thousands of years it has gone on from the dawn of creation even into this age and this season. And yet right there somewhere in that story some 2,000 years ago, there is a moment, an intersection of space and time in which Jesus comes as God in the flesh. And think how that intersection of space and time has shaped the rest of the ark of God's story. And here we are in 2022, and you and I are at a very specific point in space and time in the ark of God's story. And for many of us, our lives have been shaped by Jesus. Many of us have had our lives shaped by the incarnated God who has called us, invited us into redemption, invited us into confession, 
invited us into turning our lives and walking in an opposite direction from where we were walking before and called us away from that and called us into something new. And the arc of God's story now is lived out in our lives and your life in a different way. It has shaped your history. It has shaped your future and redeemed your past. Thanks be to God. It is an overwhelming thing for me to think about that God invites us at a certain place in the arc of God's story to be a part of that story and to take up the mantle of God's story and to live in that moment recognizing that we're just a small piece of it but we are a valued, loved piece of it. And that our participation in the incarnation is incredibly important to the arc of God's story, even though we're a very small piece of it. We join with collective millions and millions of people whose lives have been changed by the incarnate God and shaping the future of the arc of God's story. Your contribution to the story of God matters. But it's not about you, is it? It's about being a part of God's story, about participating in the incarnation. The incarnation speaks to us of the imagination of God, that the imagination of God is not bound by human limitations. I'm always fascinated when people say, well, God does this and God acts this way and God is going to... I'm always fascinated when people want to impose their human definitions and limitations on God. Because in the incarnation, when the chosen people of God do not receive the word, do not recognize the word, what does God's imagination does, do? It takes it beyond. It takes the word beyond those chosen people. And on the day of Pentecost, what happened? The Spirit of God came, and those people went out, and they were dispersed across the known world. And the Spirit of God moved beyond the boundaries of human imagination and limitation. Gerard Sloyan suggests the opening verses of John are as much about our own beginnings as they are about Jesus' beginnings. The purpose of the incarnation of God in Jesus was to come to his own home place, to his own people, in essence, to his own neighborhood, to be among those prepared for such an event by centuries of God's loving self-disclosure. This was to be a sonship and daughterhood of God other than that achieved by the creation of humanity the incarnation of God is the invitation to an intimacy of relationship between creator and people. An invitation to intimacy between you and the creator. An intimacy 
unknown even in human relationship. An intimacy between Redeemer and people that had been promised. The incarnation was to be the crowning moment of Israel's inheritance to be the people of God through Abraham, but something went wrong. But the imagination of God goes on in verse 12 to say, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the child of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of a human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. Could we agree on this? If you don't agree, it's okay with me. You can be wrong. Some of you won't agree with me just because you don't want to agree with me. Thank you. <laughs> Could we agree on this? That God intends to be at work in the world beyond our defined limitations. God intends to be at work in the world beyond our defined limitations. For example, have you ever thought that someone you knew because of the life they lived and the pattern of life they had created for themselves would never come to follow Jesus? Have you ever had that thought about someone you knew? That's a human-imposed limitation on God. I invite you today, give that up. Quit that. Stop that. If that's the way we think, may the Holy Spirit slap us silly. No one, no one, no one is beyond the grace and mercy of God. I don't care how your life has been lived. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. There's a place for you in God's presence, in God's kingdom. And it simply begins with yes. Yes. Sometimes in the church we make it so complicated. Well, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this. But following Christ, being born of God, to be a child of God, simply begins with yes. The incarnation makes it possible for us to live forward. Soren Kierkegaard wrote these words, life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. Life is not a problem to be solved, but a reality to be experienced. Too many of us live life looking in the rearview mirror and letting the rearview mirror image drive what's going forward. The incarnation of God says what is past doesn't no longer matters because 
there is an experience in, in the incarnation to be lived forward that's different than what's been experienced in the past. Thanks be to God. In other words, the incarnation opens the way to a God-defined future that is different than our humanly defined past. There is a waiting for us, a new reality to be experienced in the kingdom of God with the people of God. I would suggest to us this morning that the incarnation invites us to take a risk. Risk here is used as a means of explaining our human need to seek security, to seek safety. And in seeking security and safety, we often seek to preserve that which we hold important, which means then that we create boundaries and limitations, and it can impact our imagination for God's activity. John R.W. Stott expressed it this way, insistence on security is incompatible with the way of the cross. What daring adventures the incarnation and the atonement were. What a breach of convention and decorum that almighty God should renounce his privileges in order to take human flesh and to bear human sin. Jesus had no security except that of his father. So to follow Jesus is always to accept at least a measure of uncertainty, danger, and rejection for his sake. Stott goes on to say, but even if we remain in our own country, Christians and non-Christians are often widely separated from one another by social subculture and lifestyles as well as different values, beliefs, and moral standards. Only an incarnation can span these divides for an incarnation means entering other people's worlds, their thought world, the worlds of their alienation, loneliness, and pain. And moreover, the incarnation led to the cross where Jesus bore our sin. The incarnation was a depth of penetration to our world in order to reach us. And the incarnation over 2,000 years ago still is an attempt to reach us, to reach our imaginations, to encourage us to live forward, and to encourage us to take risk and avoid seeking safety. In the next few weeks, we will move further into the Gospels. We will move into the parables We'll move into the story of Jesus and the interactions of Jesus with the people around him. Let me suggest to you that as you read those passages and as you hear those sermons, that you look to the Gospels and see them through the lens of the Incarnation because it is only through the lens of the Incarnation that any of it will make sense. The imagination of God expressed in the history-shaping ideas of the Gospels open up new vistas for us and new hope for us and new futures for us. 
John chapter 1, verse 14 says, the word became flesh and lived among us. Hear this, please. The incarnation is about relationship. It's about relationship. About relationship with the almighty, eternal God, the creator God, the God of the covenants. The God of Bethlehem. The God of Jerusalem. The God of Golgotha. The God of the cross. The God of the resurrection. And the God who will someday call all of us into God's presence. The incarnation teaches us that God moved into our neighborhood for a divine purpose. And the incarnation invites us to participate in the incarnation, not just for our own benefit, but for the benefit of others. even others beyond our imagination. And finally, I would suggest that the call of the incarnation is to be faithful. To be faithful to being a participant in the arc of the story of God at a certain point in time and place in history and to declare before God as God has come and walked among us and moved into our neighborhoods and moved into our lives, we will be faithful to being a part of the story of God and let being a part of the story of God transcend what it means to be part of our own story. That we would be faithful to take our place in the arc of the story of God. in a Wednesday night discussion where we discussed the sermon. I suggested to those present that my call is not to be the senior pastor of this church. My call is to be faithful to God. One is a position, the other is a life. One is a role and task. The others, the other is an imagination, part of the incarnation. And you and I get to live out God in the flesh in 2022.